It's 834, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of ground to cover on today's show. Let's get right to it. As I was mentioning to Gene, if you are a longtime listener of this program, you know that I am a huge advocate for the Boy Scouts. A number of years, I, I don't do this very much anymore just because, um, you know, life and your schedule changes. But back when I first started, I used to do a lot of, of speaking events. I mean, lots and lots. And I was a mainstay at Kiwanis Clubs and Rotary Clubs and Lions Clubs. And, and, and I never took... I never took fees because I just didn't think it was, was appropriate. Um, but in many cases, people would offer you honorarium. And so, you know, we're not talking about big money. We're talking about $50 or $100 or 25 whatever, whatever. It was just as a way of saying, hey, thanks for coming out and doing that. So what I, I started doing is I would take the, the money that I, quote, unquote, earned through the, the speaking things, and I would I would donate it to various charitable causes. And somewhere along the line, once the Boy Scouts of America got into the, their tussle with United Way, now this never happened around southeastern Wisconsin, but you will remember because of their stance on gay scoutmasters, what ended up happening is United Way started defunding the Boy Scouts in various communities across the country. And again, this did not happen in southeastern Wisconsin. United Way has always been a very, very good partner for scouts. But in any event, what I started doing is I started you know, taking whatever money that I would make from doing these speaking things, and I started donating it to charitable causes. And once this, once this brouhaha developed between United Way and the scouts, I started donating money to the scouts. And we're not talking about you know, huge amounts of, of money. We're talking about hundreds, maybe thousand dollars here, you know, hundreds, maybe a couple thousand here or there over the course of years. But I, I wanted to support the scouts. That then led me to meet a lot of the, the scout leaders. And over the years, I, I've I've tried in my little way to sort of help, you know, advance the cause of, of, of scouting. One of the events that I do do every year, and I continue to do, and it's on my calendar, is every February, the, the Boy Scouts for organization for Waukesha County um, has a, a, a gala event where they honor all the scout leaders and they recognize all the Eagle Scouts from the preceding year. And, and I do it. It's a lot of fun. I think I've been doing it for, gosh, 15, 16, 17 years. I'm, I'm not even sure how many. But it's they, they keep inviting me back, and I keep saying yes, because it's just so life-affirming to see, first of all, all these adults that are giving so much of their time to, to make scouting go, and then to stand up on the stage and see all these young men who've earned their Eagle Scout awards, and uh, they're all talking about their future. I find it very life-affirming, so I do it. So I'm a huge fan of the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts have been buffeted over the years by the winds of social change. Oh, you know, you have to open up to gay scoutmasters, or you need to allow transgender, this whole sort of thing that's there. And, and I've I've kind of watched from the outside as they've dealt with these various issues. Yesterday, um, in what is being described as a momentous policy shift, the Boy Scouts of America announced that they will admit girls into the Cub Scouts starting next year. And for older girls, this would be starting around the age of 11, they will establish a program based on the Boy Scout curriculum that enables them, girls, to obtain Eagle Scout ranks. So they, the way I understand this program, the, the girls will be able to participate in the same sort of curriculum with the Boy Scouts. Cub Scouts, well, okay, you can now be a girl and join the Cub Scouts. Um, Boy Scouts, same curriculum, same activities 
with the exception of the fact that my understanding is that they are not going to allow um, intergender camping trips, which to me is just an, an invitation to more lawsuits. I mean, what what happens if you have, I don't know, 20, 25 people who are in a Boy Scout troop and 23 are boys, and there's the two girls, and you say, okay, well, you know, we're not, they're, we're going to, the boys are going to get to go camping, but the girls aren't. I mean, that, that seems to me to be a lawsuit in the making, but, you know, they'll work it all out. The Girl Scouts of America, interestingly, they say, we have no intention of changing our policy. Boys are not welcome. We don't want to have boys. We think Girl Scouts are all about girl empowering females. And so, you know, we don't want to have girls as part of uh, we don't want to have boys as part of this because it would water down our mission. Additionally, the Girl Scouts, from what I am able to tell, are not thrilled about this because they're struggling for membership as well. And they are afraid that this might siphon off girls who might otherwise participate in Girl Scouting, who now, for whatever reason, are going to go to Boy Scouting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There. I really am a huge advocate for, for gender equity. I, I, I really am. And I always cringe as somebody who has been spent most of their life surrounded by really, really bright and powerful women. <laughs> um, I, this, this idea that, okay, we, we have to have this separation, I, it's always kind of bothered me. And I do appreciate that there is a glass ceiling, and I appreciate that it's a lot tougher in many respects for women to be taken seriously in certain industries. I get all that. Having said that, there is a difference between boys and girls, and I think this change to essentially say we are now going to admit girls into the Boy Scouts, I think for many, many reasons it is a bad idea, and that is not to say that girls should not have opportunities, but Boy Scout, just like Girl Scouts of America say, hey, this is going to be exclusively for girls, I think that there are all sorts of reasons, and very good reasons, why Cub Scouts are are for boys, and Boy Scouts are, in fact, for boys. And I think the Boy Scouts of America are making a huge mistake in opening up Boy Scouts to girls for a variety of reasons that we will get into. But let's tee this up. And I know a lot of you have participated in scouting or you've got kids that are active in scouting. All right. The idea of saying, all right, Cub Scouts, it's now boys, it's now girls. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 841. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 844. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, to tell you the whole story, in, in other countries, several other countries have gone to, um, have done away with the gender differences for Boy Scouts. Girls and boys can participate in scouting. Matter of fact, in Canada, they don't even call it Boy Scouts. They call it Scout Canada. Um, that's how they look at it. In this, As a result of this policy change, girls will now be able to become Cub Scouts. And then for the older girls, 11 to 14, they will be able to participate in the Boy Scout programs, earn Eagle Scout merit badges. Explorers, which is for the older kids, like 15 and up, that has been co-ed. They call it venture scouting now. That's been co-ed for a while. So this makes everything co-ed. Interestingly, again, I can't stress this enough. Girl Scouts of America are livid with this. They say that this is nothing but an effort by Boy Scouts to try to raise money by recruiting girls. 
they think it's going to hurt their programs by potentially siphoning off hundreds of thousands of potential girls who would otherwise go into Girl Scouting who are now going to join Boy Scouts. Um, further hurting Girl Scouts, and, and Girl Scouts have been suffering for a while with attendance drops. So this is this isn't just controversial within the Boy Scouting ranks about allowing girls in. Like I say, a lot of the Girl Scouts advocates are absolutely outraged about this. I just think. As a general rule, I think it is a bad idea. And I think Baden-Powell, who founded the Boy Scouts in, what, 1910, I think he would just be shaking his head at what current scout leadership is doing. Denise in Port Washington. Denise, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you, you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm listening to your program, and I am a proud mom of two Eagle Scouts. And I'm also a teacher, a naturalist that I teach a lot of girls that love the outdoors and are so much involved in it just as much as the boys are. Mm-hmm. And I was a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts can kick it up a notch. They could have outings with these girls. They could teach them how to build the fires, earn their totem chip. They could get them out there in nature and do just as much as the Boy Scouts do without joining the Boy Scout troop. Mm-hmm. It's a Boy Scout organization. It's a Girl Scout organization. It needs to stay that way. Well, that's, I mean, right, that, that, that's it. They're, they're set up representing that there are differences between boys and girls. And, again, I appreciate that, that girls like to go camping, and I appreciate that girls might, li- might like a, a lot of the things that they teach, including a lot of the values in Boy Scouts. But, see, I think you're right, Denise. This, this to me, it's an indictment of the Girl Scouts. If the girl And Girl Scouting, I think, over the years has moved. I, I think it's gotten away from actual scouting. I think I have a text here that says it's become more of a social organization but right that that's a call for girl scouts to change not necessarily for boy scouts to say okay we are now going to become co-ed i mean that's that's the whole premise why call it boy scouts then i i totally agree i was a den mom i was an uh, i worked very closely um with the boy scout troops when my sons were involved in it i didn't go on the outings with the boys the scout leaders that went in the girl scouts it's not just about cookies and socialization. Get those girls out there in nature. Get them dirty. Get them digging. Pick up, right. pick a tent. I mean, teach them those things, and I think that will give the opportunity for more girls who are involved in nature-based activities to join the Girl Scouts right. and not just make it fun and games. Okay, thanks, for call. I appreciate it. Now, I have another perspective. Here's a, a thoughtful text from Dana in Milwaukee. I think the Boy Scout situation is a wonderful thing. Generally speaking, I'm not a person who thinks that boys and girls are the same. Boys and girls are different. They were made different, and that's a good thing. However, when it comes to scouting, I feel differently. The organization that is Boy Scouts of America is co-ed in the rest of the world, or most of the world, that's correct. Um, Boy Scouts, in fact, does allow girls to venture scouts once the kids are above the age of 16. The opportunities and education afforded to boys through Boy Scouts is unparalleled in any other organization. Girl Scouts does not come close to offering the same things that Boy Scouts does. For this reason, I think this is excellent. Well, okay, again, to me, that's an argument that Girl Scouting has lost its mission and that Girl Scouting needs to change. It's not necessarily saying that, okay, we need to have, I I, I don't know, that we, we need to take something that has been geared to boys 
and now we need to say, okay, this is going to be co-ed, which isn't to say that girls shouldn't have opportunities at camp and things like that. I Again, I also wonder about the practicalities of it. For example, like I was saying, one of the questions, what about the, the co-ed camping? Well, they don't allow that. They will not allow that. But what if, this is my example, you've got 25 people in a troop, 23 boys, two girls, are you really going to be – wait till the legal challenges come in when you say, okay, we don't allow co-ed camping, so the 23 boys, they're going to go on the camping trip. The two girls, they're going to stay behind. Okay, can you can you imagine the lawsuits that are going to come out of this? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Rick in Cedarburg. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I am uh, – uh former scoutmaster. Um, I have two sons that are Eagle Scouts, and one of them is, is actually off to college right now, and uh, he called me yesterday uh, quite agitated and upset about this whole uh, topic. You know, He said to me, Dad, aren't there any organizations left in the world anymore where, where boys and young men can learn good, solid values mm-hmm. that teach them to be, to be good, godly men and in our society, and, mm-hmm. and it, it was pretty interesting. It really struck me that he he called me uh, with that um, passion and with that uh, level of, 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 of upsetness or, or, or dissatisfaction that, that, that the Boy Scouts has changed in yet another way, bowing to political pressure. Well, let me ask you this, though. What, what is, I mean, and I... I but I, as a huge supporter of the organization, I agree with you. I think it's great that there's an organization that treats that, that teaches values to young men. But I guess my question would be, that can't you teach though? Couldn't it at the same time then teach the same values to to young women? Why can't it be co-ed? Why do you think your son doesn't like the co-ed nature of it? Well, I I think that there's you know there's a lot of, of pressure in our society to 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 feminize. Uh, uh, males in general. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very, very healthy for, for young men, um, mature men, to have male friends and to do things with just guys. There's plenty of, of opportunities in the world to interact with, uh, with, uh, with females and, and, yeah. and part of normal society. But it's really important. You, you develop bonds and you develop things like through organizations like scouting, mm-hmm. through church groups, men's fraternities, things like that. It's really, really important to have that. And, and it's just yet another case where the where the Boy Scouts is, is in my opinion, caving to political pressure. Um, yeah, you know, I, now, I mean, thanks for calling. Now, it's interesting because, like I say, the, the Girl Scouts w- would say it's not political pressure, that this is an effort to try to raise money. They're viewing the, the ability to recruit girls as as a revenue source. And, uh, and, and the, the argument is, well, Boy Scouting has been financially mismanaged. They need more money. So what they're going to do is they're going to siphon off the money from the Girl Scouts. So like I say, that's what the interesting dynamic here. Girl Scouts of America is livid over this particular change. Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to uh, Kim in Madison. Kim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I, I think that um, I'm a, I was a Girl Scout leader who uh, took girls to the Gold Award, and my husband was a cup master. And my girls did tons and tons of things that the Boy Scouts did. We went and shot rifles. The Girl Scouts wouldn't let us. Um, and we did a lot of things with the Boy Scout troops or the things that the Boy Scout troops did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that keeping them separate um, for many reasons that you've already talked about is, is probably a good thing. But I do think it's a wake-up call to say, can these groups come together and optimize somehow through administration, Mm -hmm. through some of their activities and those types of things? 
Do you think this is an indictment of the failure of Girl Scouts to, I, I don't know, offer programs that would be appealing to, to girls? Because if there wasn't, if Girl Scouts were, were doing, were, were offering these things, my, my guess is that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be this issue that's out there. There's a, there's a different, to me, there's a different reason why Boy Scouts are enrollments declining and Girl Scouts enrollments are declining. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different reasons. One is the parents' involvement. Um, is Lack of that drives the lack of troops and the lack of interest. But Girl Scouts, as your other caller had mentioned or texture, become very much more social and very much... Um, there wasn't, he got to the end and we really weren't earning badges and that's what my girls wanted to do. They wanted to earn things and they wanted to do those things. So then that's why we started to do more of the Boy Scout thing. Mm-hmm. The, the Girl Scouts have gotten to try to be more appealing to Generation um, X and Z. Where the Boy Scouts, I think part of the reason they might be declining is because they're still very stringent. And that does not necessarily, wearing the uniform and doing all those things, may not be appealing so much mm-hmm. to the Generation X and Generation C people. Right. No, I think so. And especially, I mean, it, it is interesting to me, what, what, again, I, I, I know more about Boy Scouts than Girl Scouts, but I mean, it is so much of Boy Scouting, I think it's passed on. I mean, the idea that Grandpa was in the Boy Scouts, Dad was in the Boy Scouts, the kids are in the Boy Scouts. Um, you know, one of the things clearly they're trying to do is reach out and make themselves more relevant to people who don't come from the scouting backgrounds. Now, again, just just so people are clear on this, and if I muddy this, I apologize. Under the new plan, Cub Scout dens, which are the smallest unit, would be single gender, either all boys or all girls. Um, it's the larger Cub Scout packs would have the option to remain single gender or welcome both gender. And then, um, again, once they, they get older, the girls could then could participate and try to earn their Eagle Scout and their Merit Badge awards. Uh, Amy on the north side. Uh, Amy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. I am a former Cub Master, um, and my boys have all been Cub Scouts. I was a Girl Scout, and um, I looked into Girl Scouts for my daughter, but it didn't quite work out. And... I would say that Cub Scouting already is a very family-oriented program. In our pack, we always had extra siblings, boys, girls, younger, older, but a lot of extra girls, and we'd always include them in our pack activities. Right. Including so camping, and my understanding is that's not because because when Cub Scouts go camping, it tends to, what they say it tends to be a family activity anyhow, and so it, it, that 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 has been co-ed in the past. At least it's my understanding. Yes, that's correct. So we would, when we go camping, we do family camp. So we go to Camp Long Lake, but it's not as a, you don't go just with your dad, you go with your mom and your dad and right. your siblings. So it's all co-ed anyway. So officially including in those siblings, and then maybe even taking some of the burden off of the parents who already have Cub Scouts or really enjoy the Cub Scout program because it's an excellent program, to allow them to include their daughters in there too. It's not... It's not going to be as big of a change as I think people are thinking it is going to be because it's such a family-oriented program anyway. And is, I love is, it. Is this an indictment of Girl Scouting then? The fact I that think, yeah. I think it kind of is. Yeah. I, I when I got into the Cub Scout programming, having no experience in Cub Scouts but some experience in Boy Scouts, the fact that the pack meets with all different ages and the um, 
you just you get a whole different people. There's a whole different set of experiences you get. You get much more of a leadership because by the time you finish with the pack, you're the oldest kids and you're expected to help lead the youngest kids. And Girl Scouts pretty much hang out with kids their own age, like right. in two, three years. And I think that leadership is something that Girl Scouts, they try to offer it, but they aren't as successful as Boy Scouts in cultivating it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, I, here's, I, I look. I, if we were talking about setting up opportunities for the Boy Scouts to, you know, mingle with the Girl Scouts and maybe do some of the, these these different training things, I think that would be great. If Girl Scouts wanted to set up their own equivalent of Eagle Scouts, I think that that would be absolutely great as well. I'm just still unconvinced why all of a sudden we, we have to take what have been institutions, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and we now have to say, okay, we're going to completely break down the different types of gender barriers. Because especially at young age, I think that there are certain values to some same-sex activities, and that's not being anti-boy, and it's certainly not being anti-girl. I think this is a decision that in the short run, maybe it is going to you know draw tens of thousands of new pay, dues-paying members to Boy Scouts, I think in the long run, it's going to hurt the organization. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Jane, that was, was that story you had that the guy was uh, on the, the on the Internet kind of conducting his drug business? Uh, Facebook Live, Jeff. Uh, see, I used to say this about, uh, about when I was a drug prosecutor. Sometimes it, it's really hard, you know, to, to catch the drug dealers. Other times, it's just it's just easy, you know. It kind of all levels out. It would be like the look. Here, here, here's a story. Now, th- this is it goes back before the Al Gore invented the internet. But we had we had raided this drug dealer's house. All right, so it's it's the cops. Then we're in there and they're searching. They're taking all this dope out and stuff. And the phone rings, and one of the DEA agents answers the phone. Hello, um, you know, is is Frank there? No, Fra- Frank's not here. This is his cousin. Oh, well, I'm looking to score, you know, a half key or whatever that this sure. was. Oh, okay. Yeah, who who is this? Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can hook you up. Yeah, we're we're we're, <laughs> you know, we're, I, I'll bring it to you. You know, oh, the guy says, oh, great, I'll be out on the corner of whatever. Honest to God, fifteen minutes later, we drive by. There's a guy. St- He's standing on the corner with an empty mystic, a box, of, like a Mr. Coffee box, uh-huh. full of cash. <laughs> you know, full of cash. And it's kind of like, I, I would used to say, you know, sometimes it's hard. Other times they just, it, it, it kind of makes it easy to get your numbers for the month. Come on. You have to admit that that has to be a fun part of that. Oh, job. absolutely. I, I mean, because actually, they, they, as a matter of fact, I was not on the raid. I'm back at the office. They call me and they say, Jeff, you're not going to believe what happened. We just answered the phone. This is guy, what, what should we do? I said, well, drive over. Let's see what happens. And there he is standing there with the Mr. Coffee box full of cash. Yes, you know? now we deliver. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Bottom line is, again, as, as we so often say, you know, the Internet is a wonderful thing and Facebook Live is a wonderful thing. But you know, every every once in a while, you might want to stop and say, is this really that good of an idea? Just saying. All right. Big story number two. President Trump, President Trump, President Trump threatening NBC. Now, here's the background of this. And let me kind of back into this. And I, I admit that I am somewhat sensitive to issues like this. For the last 22 years, I have made I have made money in this market doing a radio show from a basically conservative perspective. Over the years, things that people like me do have driven the left absolutely crazy. Gee, if we could get rid of those talking heads on conservative talk radio, it would be fine. We need to bring back the fairness doctrine. 
we need to be able to control. These are the public airwaves. And I mean, they're, they're still they're kind of like these ragtag groups. We're going to monitor the conservative talk shows. And then we are, we're going to go after them. And we're going to try to pressure when, you know, radio stations that have conservative hosts come on. We're going to try to pressure the FCC to take over, take away their licenses. And, and I, I've been, you know, very, so you're always very sensitive to that. Now, now these, these movements don't go anywhere, but at the same time, they're out there. There are people on the left who, for the last several decades, have made it their mission to try to keep conservative commentators off the air because they don't like the fact that there are audiences out there that listen to conservatives. And I think they figure, gee, if we could control the airwaves, if we could get rid of those conservative voices, if the only place you could get information was liberal editorial boards or whatever, the world would be a better place. So I'm always very sensitive to that. So this is the flip side yesterday. Um, it's no secret President Trump has been very, very upset with the mainstream media and the way his campaign, the way his presidency has been covered. And I think many of the things he has expressed, I think he has fair criticisms of. I have never seen, at least in my lifetime, a president who I think has been subject to so much criticism. I mean, there is no... There's no effort at objectivity at all. I mean, if I, one of the things in doing the show, I, I mean, I read a lot of the, the mainstream press. I read the New York Times. I read the Washington Post, all those different things, CNN, all these things. And, and it is unilaterally, um, all, almost exclusively anti-Trump. There, there's just there, there's never even an option or never even an attempt on most stories to try to present what the other perspective is. I mean, I, like I said, Donald Trump could give every American $100 if he gave away $100 bills, the Washington Post and the New York Times would criticize him for not giving him 520. So oh, he's got people have to go to the bank. They're not going to be able to get to the bank to break those $100 bills. It's going to be terrible. And that's the way the coverage has been. So I think the president has a point when he argues that coverage has been unfair. At the same time, um, I think he's also been extremely thin-skinned, and you also have to realize that you know negative press coverage comes with the territory. So here's the deal. Um, you know, NBC did this report that said that there was a meeting that he had a while back, um, in, in last July, where he apparently said that he they, they reported that he said that he wanted a nearly tenfold increase in the nation's nuclear weapons stockpile. Okay, they reported, I, I wanted the tenfold increase. Um, President Trump yesterday says this is false. This, this is the, the fake news. So he, he goes to Twitter, and these are some of the tweets he puts out. Fake at NBC News made up a story that I wanted a tenfold increase in our U.S. nuclear arsenal. Pure fiction made up to demean. NBC equals CNN. He then goes on to tweet, with all the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for the country. Um, He went on at a press conference yesterday to say, it's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want and people should look into it. He then sends out um, another series of tweets. Network news has become so partisan, distorted, and fake that licenses must be challenged and, if appropriate, revoked. Not fair to the public. Now, NBC or ABC or CNN, they're they're not licensed by the the FCC. The, The stations, the TV stations, 
are. So, I mean, you, you couldn't, I mean, NBC, I don't think, has a license that you could, could revoke. But, you know, you, you could, by going after the affiliates, I guess, you know, sort of, sort of provide that, that pressure here. All right. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number two. I agree that I think, I understand why the president has been frustrated at some coverage. But, but, should we start looking at going after the broadcast licenses of, in this case, it would be affiliates of NBC, or you can make it CNN, or you can make it ABC, or you can make it CBS, you know, whatever. In this case, you know, NBC was targeted. Should we start looking at going after the broadcast licenses of these different TV stations that report things that may be incorrect or that the president disagrees with. Network news has become so partisan, distorted, and fake that licenses must be challenged and, if appropriate, revoked. Not fair to the public. This, in my mind... It, this is this is ratcheting up the the complaint about fake news, and and I understand, you know, the fake news issue. I think that's something that, you know, the, the president I think has every right to challenge media accounts, and if he says this is a manufactured story or this is a made up story, I think fake news is fair. You put that out there, you might agree, you might disagree, but this is the next step. This is suggesting maybe we need to pull the broadcast licenses of, in this case, it would be affiliates of NBC for reporting things that I believe are incorrect. 414-799-1620. Just like I think it has been dangerous for the left to try to silence conservative voices by using the power of government to go after the licenses of, say, radio stations that employ conservative voices, I think this is equally dangerous. And I, I think it was very troubling, in all honesty, when the president went down this route. If he wants to sue NBC News for, I don't know, defamation, oh, okay, he's a public figure, that's, that's, that's a tough road to hoe, but okay, that's one thing. If he wants to tell supporters, don't watch NBC News because it's fake news, they're out to get me, I think that's fair. Going that next step, though, and threatening the broadcast licenses of affiliates, or of TV stations that put out stories that you don't like, I think goes too far. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 918 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 921 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Like I say, for for the last couple decades, ever since the, the rise of conservative talk radio the left has been head heads on just absolutely hair on fire we have to use the power of government to silence these voices how dare anybody challenge political correctness and conservative and and the, the current orthodoxy well yesterday you now have the president who's doing the same thing he says look and nbc they're they're just making stuff up they said i wanted a tenfold increase in nuclear weapons this is completely and totally untrue we need to start looking at their broadcast licenses now again NBC doesn't have an FCC license, but NBC affiliates do. This this is scary to me, and I'll be honest with you. I think this is, I mean, this is the type of stuff 
that, like I say, the left has talked about with conservative talk radio for decades. This is the stuff that Nixon talked about during Watergate. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Jerry on the south side. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I think this is absolutely disgraceful. This is the actions of a would-be tin pot dictator saying you're going to pull the license if you could, saying that it, it, it's disgraceful that the press has the ability to write what they want. This is a man who somehow is the president who has utter contempt and disdain for the First Amendment, the freedom of the press, and for the Constitution. If he had the power, he would do away basically with constitutional protection to any reporting or criticism he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. That this guy is in power, I just find amazing because we never had a president who had so much contempt for our Constitution as this man. Well, I mean, I, I will tell you, and again, I, I, I understand that when, when I do these segments, I have tried to take a new, what I consider to be a nuanced view towards the president. I support him on issues of substance where I think he's right. I criticize him on issues of style. I acknowledge that this one hit home because for, and I know there's a lot of people out there saying, that's right, let, let's go after, let, let's, let's put this, you know, the, these liars on NBC off the air or, or whatever. It's a very, very dangerous thing. We have this thing in this country called a First Amendment. That, that's number one. But, but secondly, that this idea that we're going to try to use the government to, to squelch providers of information. Now, look, I'm not going to argue that NBC doesn't present a biased view of things. I mean, I, I've been arguing about mainstream media bias for decades. That's different, though, than pointing out, oh, this is a biased report. Be skeptical of this. Or maybe you want to get your news from somewhere else. That's different from saying, let's pull the broadcast licenses of these various, again, this would be the affiliates. You, you, you can't pull the, a, a, NBC doesn't have a broadcast license unless they own a particular TV station or something like that. But but it, it's a dangerous and it is a slippery slope. And I just want to be consistent. Because like I say, for somebody who has railed against this with the left's attempts to use government to try to silence conservative voices, this this struck me as being essentially the same thing the other way. Let's talk to uh, Mike in Brookfield. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. It's virtually a slam-dunk situation. It, it fell right out, freedom of the press and the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that was asking people, what is it, what's the 23rd Amendment mean? Huh. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm surprised if he knew more about the Constitution, he would have never made the remark to begin with. Well, right, and also, I mean, I, I, let's pull their let's pull their licenses. And again, NBC and ABC, as a general rule, unless they own a TV station, they don't have a license anyway. So it was it was this whole thing. But again, and I, and I know that was red meat for a lot of Trump supporters. Yeah, they, these are lying TV stations. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this topic is think about that is what that means. Do we really want government? Regardless of who is in power saying, I, I think that that particular voice, I think that that's presenting a distorted view, that's fake news, whether you're getting it from the right or the left, let's have government take away the licenses, let's force those people off the air. Well, I'm right, you're right, Mike, conservative, liberal, in between, as somebody who makes his living, you know, under the guise of the First Amendment, I don't, I'm, I'm leery when I have a president, either Republican or Democrat, talking about using the power of government to try to limit the rights of stations, radio, TV, whatever, to present the type of commentary that they feel that's appropriate. He had to have been sleeping in fifth grade U.S. <laughs> history class. Uh, thanks for the call. Don't, don't know, but this, this is big story number two. And again, the reason I, I highlight it, and I understand 
There's a lot of people who listen who are huge Trump supporters. I just think this through. It's fine to be angry at NBC News. It's fine to say, yes, this is fake news. It's fine to say, yes, the coverage of the president on this issue or that issue in general is completely unfair. And it's then fine to say, okay, I'm going to go. I don't trust the information I'm getting here. I'm going to go to some other source to get my news. That That is all fine. That's what we have in a free society. What should be troubling to everybody, though, whether it's Barack Obama that does it, whether it's left-wing activists that try to do it, or whether it's President Trump that suggests it, is trying to use the power of the government to force voices into silence simply because those voices don't agree with your perspective. It's 927. When we come back, we've got big thing number three and a shout-out to a local police chief who is, he's the leader in the clubhouse for tomorrow's Right Stuff Awards. It is nice to see somebody saying something that needs to be said. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 934. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Your generosity has helped our WTMJ Cares initiative raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. In recent years, for causes close to the heart of so many in our community, now you have a chance to help out children with emotional or physical needs who find therapy and healing on horseback. Rides and Reins Therapeutic Riding Center in the town of Polk is in danger of closing its doors without our help. Go to WTMJ.com for details and keep listening for more information on this one remarkable cause and what you can do to help keep it alive through WTMJ Cares. This is, of course, uh, near and dear to the heart of, of Jane Matinair. It is presented by First Bank Financial Center. All right. My, my note today, matter of fact, I, I, just, I just tweeted this out. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. Franklin Police Chief Rick Oliva is the leader in the clubhouse for tomorrow's Right Stuff Award. Now, why, why would you say that? All right, because the problem around here in southeastern Wisconsin is we have too few people with guts in positions of responsibility willing to come out and say what is really going on, willing to come out and say the emperor has no clothes. It's one of the reasons why I, I like Milwaukee County, um, I like the city alderman Bob Donovan so much, um, I, I love this whole – because Donovan looks at the insanity that goes on in the city of Milwaukee, and, and he's willing to say things. And sometimes it offends people, and sometimes it's not politically correct, and sometimes it makes the mayor squirm. Well, well too bad. Too, too bad. You know, we need to tell the truth, because in too many of our communities, the reality is the emperor has no clothes. I have been carrying on, and I know I carry on about this, for years the court system in Milwaukee County is broken. It is broken, and it has led to the situation we find ourselves in now, where you can't leave your car unattended for any period of time, where it's not safe to get out of your car and put gas in the car, where you have you you know you have elderly or older women who are being beaten up and attacked and having their cars stolen in shopping centers where businesses who try to operate like selling automobiles for example they are now repeatedly victimized by the same punks over and over again who are driving stolen cars blowing through red lights killing people and then essentially one people wonder gee why was this kid out on the street after 15 previous stolen car things which brings me to Rick Oliva. Um, and I just, again, I tweeted this out. There is a message that he posted 
yesterday evening on the uh, Franklin Police Department Facebook page. And if you follow me on Twitter, Jeff Wagner 620, I just linked to this. Um, here, here is the statement by the chief. Franklin Police Department. Stolen autos and burglaries update. Although Franklin has had no burglaries or auto thefts in the city since September 26th, these types of crimes continue to plague suburban communities in Milwaukee County as well as Waukesha County. Let me stop there. Right For everybody, and this is the thing that's important, for the longest time, I think people were willing to turn a blind eye to what's going on in the city of Milwaukee. Oh, the attitude was the city of Milwaukee is a criminal cesspool, and, and it's just, you, you know, you get the leadership you deserve, and this is what the aldermen and Tom Barrett are willing to accept, but, but this is, it's the city of Milwaukee. It doesn't affect me. Well, that's not true, because the problem is the, the criminals in the city of Milwaukee have now started expanding. So it's now out in the suburbs. They are cruising the suburbs, suburban Milwaukee County, and they are coming into other counties, Washington County, Ozaki County, Waukesha County. Now, not all car thefts and carjackings and crime that goes on in Waukesha County comes out of Milwaukee, but a hell of a lot of it does. So anyhow, the Franklin Police Chief, this is Rick Oliva, he continues, um, let's see, um, we haven't had any thefts or burglaries since September 26th, but these type of crimes continue to plague suburban communities in Milwaukee County as well as Waukesha County. There is a core group of juvenile suspects from the city of Milwaukee that are responsible for these crimes. There he said it. The criminal activity, not all of it, but it's a core group of juveniles from Milwaukee. Oh, how dare he say these things? Oh, this is this is just so terrible. This is racist. What is he applying? This is this dog whistle stuff. No, he's calling it like it is. There's a core group of juvenile suspects from the city of Milwaukee that are responsible for these crimes. We often hear comments such as, what are the police doing about this? The fact is, this is the police chief, police departments are doing plenty about it. There have been numerous arrests by multiple departments. Many of those arrested have been arrested previously some several times in a recent case from a neighboring community the juvenile arrested in a stolen auto that crashed after a chase had eight previous arrests for auto theft okay let let, let us back this up all right let me just read that again many of those arrested have been arrested previously some several times. In a recent case from a neighboring community, the juvenile arrested in a stolen auto that crashed after a chase had eight previous arrests for auto theft. Let me interject. What the hell? I mean, seriously. Eight previous arrests. The kid is out continuing to steal cars, running from police, and he crashes the car. Eight previous arrests. What about maybe at the second time, don't you think somebody should have sent this kid to prison and a, but to at least some detention facility? And maybe about the third time, shouldn't have sorry but been in, I don't know, a juvenile detention facility for a long time? Or depending on his age, maybe you wave him into adult court at some point in time. Doesn't Don't we have to take this seriously? Anyhow, the police chief continues. This is the frustration for law enforcement. First, and here's where it gets good, there is a reluctance by the district attorney's office to charge juveniles. That is John Chisholm. That is the elected district attorney in Milwaukee County, and the police chief is absolutely right. He is calling him out in a way that, unfortunately, people like Tom Barrett, the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, 
don't have the guts to do. Barrett doesn't have the guts to say to John Chisholm, why aren't you charging these juveniles? Wouldn't it be interesting if instead of Barrett using his bully pulpit to whine about how I'm not getting enough money from the state and that's why I've got to lay off cops, he was out there saying, well, gee, when the cops do make arrests, isn't it frustrating that John Chisholm and his district attorney's office doesn't charge them? Okay, that's number one. And the police chief continues. And secondly... There is a reluctance by judges to send these repeat offenders to detention. In most cases, juveniles arrested for being caught in a stolen auto will be released from custody within three days. And and actually, I think he's being generous with that. In many cases, I don't think they're even in custody for three days. I think that they're sent back to the same community and sent back to mom and dad to go out two days later and steal stuff. Um, But it is. The juvenile justice system is a joke. It's a joke. The judges, the district attorneys, first of all, won't take kids into juvenile court. They won't waive repeat offenders into adult court. They just kind of look the other way. And then you've got the juvenile court judges who just... Well, we've got to find the least restrictive alternative. And, yes, he's he's stolen eight cars. Well, okay, we're going to put him on double secret probation. All right, the police chief continues. We will continue our efforts to prevent auto thefts and burglaries and to pursue charges on those caught responsible. We ask for your understanding that before juvenile crime can be seriously addressed, the entire criminal justice system must do their part. Chief Rick Oliva. In other words, we're out there. We catch them. We turn them over to the do-nothing district attorney who lets them go. When they finally do charge them, it goes to the do-nothing juvenile court judges who then turn around and let them go. They're back out on the street. They are stealing. They are attacking. In some cases, people are dying. But it's just it's beyond our control. This is why it is important for, in my opinion, the state to step in. You need to have mandatory minimum penalty. We need to completely revamp the juvenile justice system. There needs to be mandatory penalties for car theft, detentions. There needs to be, after a couple, mandatory being waived into adult court. It is time to get control of what is going on. And unfortunately, you have politically correct politicians who are concerned that, gee, if we really crack down on juvenile crime, it's going to mean that too many of this type of person or that type of person is going to end up getting detained. We're going to get on the wrong side of some of these liberal activist groups. And, oh, and, and it's, it's, just, it's just a 16-year-old. Oh, so he's stolen 15 cars. So he's out you know, driving through red lights and crashing in. Oh, it's just a 16-year-old. We can't treat him with anything other than kid gloves. It is disgraceful the way crime has been allowed to flourish in this community. It is now spreading to surrounding communities. It is everybody's problem, and it is refreshing to have at least one local police chief, and this is Rick Oliva from Franklin, who is calling it like it is. And again, if you want to see a statement, it's up on the um, Franklin Police Department's Facebook page. I've also linked to it through my Twitter account, um, at Jeff Wagner 620. When we come back, big story number three. It's 944. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 947. Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. Aaron Jones electrified fans in week five, but what will his role be once Ty Montgomery returns? Greg Matzik and Jeff Falcone will discuss live from from Karma Bar and Grill for Miller Lights Packers Playbook. That's six thirty-five this evening. I just 
it's just it's just been so frustrating to me on this whole juvenile crime issue and the whole crime thing that you, you know you, you have people like Tom Barrett who have this incredible bully pulpit. And when you have all the stuff that's going on in the city and the out-of-control juveniles, and, and he stands up, and because it's politically expedient, he says, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I need more help from Madison or, or this. Instead of you know, starting with you know, somebody who probably attends a lot of the same events that he does and saying, you know, you know what's going on with John Chisholm? What, why do we have this? And, and these various judges, you know, maybe, maybe if you started calling out the judges and naming names, and maybe if you turn the police chief loose to, again, start saying, well, look, this is the guy we caught. Here is the history. Part, of course, of the problem, and we're actually going to talk about this later today or tomorrow, is we, we protect, we, we hide, we cover up for these juveniles. I, I was talking about the, the shameful story out of McGuanago the other day where you had the 15-year-old kid that apparently stole his parents' car, took it on a joyride, um, crashed it at a high rate of speed, left a 14-year-old passenger for dead in the car, and fled and tried to avoid cops for three hours. And then in Maguanago, they, they turn, they just give the kid back to his to his to his parents. What? What are you talking about? You just give the kid back to his parents, put him in handcuffs, take him down, haul him in front of you know whatever juvenile authority you have in Waukesha County. You don't just send him back to his parents for doing something like this. But that's of course what they did. And somebody followed up and said, you know what what's happening with that case? And my answer was, I I don't know for sure. Um, I don't know if the DA's office even charged him. But part of the problem is when they're juveniles, this is all secret. We want to protect the. We want to protect the 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 good name of the these juveniles. So you know it doesn't matter. These people can be out there stealing car after car after car unless they're charged in adult court. In many cases, we never know whether they were charged or not, and we never know what their disposition is. I think the public has every right to know, and if that means that okay, the fifteen-year-old kid next door who is a car thief gets publicly identified as being a car thief, who cares? Who cares? All right, big story number three. Um, it, it, this the story broke yesterday, but now there, there's more and more details about it. Um, this is the way it was reported in the New York Post. Hotel staffers at Mandalay Bay did not call Las Vegas police until after Stephen Paddock started his mass shooting spree, according to phone records. All right, what happened apparently, the new timeline that's out there, is this security guard, Jesus Campos, um, goes up to the 32nd floor um, in response to one of the exit doors being propped open. So an alarm went off. He then, you know, goes to investigate this. And apparently what happens is Stephen Paddock, this is before he started shooting, starts shooting at the security guard. And wounds him. Now, this is the way the New York Post is reporting it. Campos reportedly alerted his superiors and informed them that he had been shot by Paddock. All right. Now, this is before the shooting starts. The security guard goes to investigate, and he, I guess he's got, you know, one of those, you know, they all walk around with the different microphones. He calls in. He said, hey, this guy in 32, whatever, he just shot me. Um, call the police. Someone is firing a gun up here. Someone is firing a rifle on the 32nd floor down the hallway. Um, the maintenance engineer 
um, told them too. So the maintenance engineer is up there. The security guard is up there. Call the police. Someone is firing a gun up here. Someone is firing a rifle on the 32nd floor down the hallway. Maintenance uh, engineer Stephen Schnuck can be heard saying on audio tapes released Wednesday by the hotel. The re- engineer reportedly radioed his employer, letting them know what happened and what paddock room paddock was in um, after being asked to do so by uh, by the um, hotel security guard. Um, so they told him, and yet nobody did anything. According to ABC Source, hotel staff didn't inform authorities about Paddock until after he began convili- c- killing concert goers at the Route 91 um, Harvest Festival. Police officials have said Campos was shot roughly six minutes before the guy opened fire. It is unclear how long after he started shooting that security officials waited to call the police. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number three. The timing of this is extremely important. And I know that as we were talking about yesterday, there have now been lawsuits filed against uh, for Mandalay Bay and MGM, which is the parent company of Mandalay Bay, alleging that they were negligent letting this guy get up to the room and things like that. I am skeptical about where that goes. But if, in fact, six minutes before this guy started shooting out the windows, he had shot a security guard, was shooting at a security engineer, and the hotel had been notified that there's a guy on the 32nd floor with a rifle shooting, if they did not call the police, were they negligent? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't know if if they had made an immediate call, would it have changed the dynamic? Would it have limited the guy's ability to shoot for as long as he did? I, I don't know. But does this change your view of things? And is there any excuse for the hotel not immediately calling the police once they are informed that there is a guy with a rifle on the 32nd floor, shooting at their employees. 414-799-1620 is the number. And my answer to this, you bet. I mean, I, I think if this is true, this is a huge issue. It's going to be a huge issue with MGM security, Mandalay Bay security. It's going to be a huge issue with the courts. If you knew that there's an active shooting situation and you did not immediately notify authorities, what the heck is up with that? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. It's 9.54. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.57, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mitch and Sturgeon Bayer text. The timeline never made much sense, did it? At least one group dropped the ball, apparently. Maybe some of the confusion surrounding this incident has been cultivated. I, I don't know about that, but but this is, this is to me, a, a big deal. I was arguing yesterday that if... If the sole basis for lawsuits against Mandalay Bay is the fact that, gee, you know, that they should have done a better job of recognizing that this guy brought guns up to the room, I think that's really a tough sell. I mean, I I just, I mean, you check into a hotel, unless the security video shows that he's walking through the hotel with AR-15s, which I don't think it will, that's really a tough sell. I mean, to say that, okay, the hotel should have seen him bringing multiple suitcases up there or golf bags or whatever and should have known that he had guns in them, I I just, I I don't see them being liable for that. I, I do think... It is fair to say, if you have an active shooting incident, 
and you have one of your employees who reports that they were shot and a second employee who says there's a guy with a rifle on the 32nd floor who's shooting down the hallway, how does it take five or six minutes to not immediately call the police. Now, would that have changed anything? I, I don't know. That That's, you know, that's where you get into the, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda things. You call the Las Vegas Police Department. How long is it going to take to respond to an active shooting situation on 32nd floor? But at the same time, it does seem to me if the police had immediate earlier knowledge, at least somebody is trying to get there sooner. So maybe... Maybe you confront the gunman sooner than you're able to do. I mean, if this is in fact true, and I understand that that's an if, I think Mandalay Bay has a lot of explaining to do because I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, I'm trying to imagine in, in a typical workplace, if all of a sudden you get a report that there's, hey, there's an active shooting situation, it would seem to me that the first person, whether it's the lead, the head of security, or whether it's the front desk or wherever that calls from come from, the first thing you say is, okay, give me the details, boom, call 911. They did not do that. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, a new principal at a local elementary school declares war on a Halloween tradition. Stick around. We will discuss. It's 959. <laughs> It's 10.09, Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. It used to be, Rue, who is producing the show today. All right. You are younger than I am. When you were, did you go to public schools? You were a product of public schools. Okay. Um, do you remember having, and I just, there, there are some people out there, they're, they're going to be real offended by this, but do you remember having like Halloween parties in public schools? Did you ever do that where you dress up in costumes? There was candy, but you did not dress up in costumes. Okay, well, but believe it or not, there was a time in this world, there was a time in this world where even in public schools, they would they would allow you to come on Halloween and they would have costumes. You could you could wear costumes to, to class on that, that day, and then they would even have like a Halloween theme party where yes, they would have candy corn. I can even remember oh, I tell you, I can even remember bobbing for apples i mean really you you would go and they'd have a bunch of apples and you would actually stick your head in can you imagine doing that and of course we we have now gotten to the point where we 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 can't we can't have fun in schools anymore and and we certainly can't make arrangements and allowances for these type of, of of events because of a variety of reasons well i want to tell you about a local elementary school Hillcrest Elementary, and today's TMJ4 was reporting this. They have a they have a new principal this year, and this is one of the, the new principals. Really, first first acts, she has decided that students are no longer going to be allowed to wear Halloween costumes to the school's annual fall festival. Now, you might say fall festival. Well, that is because even in Waukesha. Right, we we can't have Halloween parties anymore. So we we they did away with the traditional. We're not going to call it Halloween because heaven forbid, gee, somebody out there might be offended that we're referring to Halloween. So Halloween has been gone for a long time. So now we call it a, a fall festival, and it's been going on for for quite a while. But at the 
fall festival, wink, wink, nod, nod, that is based around Halloween, they have, up until this year, allowed the students to show up in what they would determine to be school-appropriate costumes. In other words, okay, no Nightmare on Elm Street type of stuff. You know, none of the scary things. But again, you know, if you want to come as a firefighter or a police officer or something, it's been fine as part of the fall festival because this is what happens with public education nowadays. So, okay, you could come in costumes. And what the parents describe happened is this 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 costume thing had actually it had been it become really like a um it's like a festival but they'd have a costume parade so you'd let the kids dress up and have a little bit of fun well they've got a new principal and this is where the new principal has decided to kind of make her stand um hillcrest parents learned according to today's tmj4 that there wouldn't be at the fall festival there would not be a costume parade this year Again, if you are of a certain age, you are listening to this crap, and you're just laughing. You, you, I, it's an involuntary eye roll that, okay, we, we have to take this away. So now they've been told you can't wear costumes. So this is what the newsletter said. To maximize that fun and time of Fall Fest, we are going to ask families to not send costumes this year. Because we want to be, I mean, we want to have fun. We want them to have fun, so we're not going to have the kids wear costumes. To maximize that fun and time of Fall Fest, we're going to ask families to not send costumes this year. Okay? This is where it gets good. We want to be inclusive of all families, including those families who don't celebrate Halloween or find purchasing a costume a hardship. Also, there has been behavior and time management concerns related to changing into and out of the costumes. This year... We will be having a hat day on October 31st. Students will be invited to support kids and families who have been affected by hurricanes from earlier this month. We are excited to see how much money we can raise. Any hat will work. You can even create your own. Well, what about, I'm just, let me just, before we get into the rest of the story, let me just ask, what about families that object to hats? And what about families that can't afford hats? I mean, how insensitive can they be out in Waukesha? The Channel 4 story continues. Um, actually, you know, the, the parents are not thrilled uh, about this politically correct decision. One of the parents quoted says, look, if money was actually an issue, all right, and, and we needed to raise money for some people so they could have costumes, people would have donated, just just donated. You know, other parents suggested making costumes in art class. One of the parents says, well, I'm not surprised. It just seems that this is the way the society is going. All right, so here's what the new principal says. The concerns over students wearing costumes were first raised just before the start of the school year. Honest to God, you think of all the different things that you might be worried about. You know, a kid's going to get shot in school. Are they going to learn how to read? But the concerns about students wearing costumes were first raised just before the start of the school year. I opened the conversation with our site council, a team made up of teachers and parent PTO representatives, and with our teacher leaders within the building. Together, we decided to ask families not to send costumes this year because of the cost BS. Concern over families that don't celebrate Halloween, give me a break, and because of the challenges with teachers having to manage all the students changing in and out of costumes. Finding a better way to celebrate fall is what we plan to do with our Hats for Hurricane Belief. We, relief. 
We are hoping families choose to participate and let their children wear crazy hats, I would add, but perhaps not violent hats, as we collect money for hurricane relief. Helping others is an important value of being a Hillcrest Husky, and the hats will be fun. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The war on on, on fun in schools and, and Halloween continues. They've had this tradition. We did away with the Halloween parties, but you used to get to at least wear a costume for this festival. Now, no costumes. They say, well, because we want to be inclusive, I don't buy this. To me, this is politically correct namby-pambyism, and I'm surprised. I'm surprised out in Waukesha they are letting people get away with this. Is this really what, what we expect out of the public schools, this idea that, well, we can have the festival, but we can't call it Halloween, and now we can't have the costumes because, well, what about the people that don't celebrate Halloween? They might feel left out. All right, well... Okay, just send your kid with a costume for the costume parade, for goodness sakes. 414-799-1620. I think this is just the height of absurdity. And again, I'm I'm surprised that you parents in Waukesha are letting school officials get away with this. 414-799-1620. A costume party around Halloween. Is this going too far? Do we need to do away with this? And what about the other schools that apparently aren't as enlightened as Hillcrest Elementary? Should this be the ongoing trend, or is this just, once again, political correctness run amok? You know where I stand. We'll talk about it next. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a minute. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One last preseason game to work out of the kinks, all the kinks for your Milwaukee Bucks, and there's lots of kinks. And it comes up tomorrow night in the annual Mac Fun game. It's the Bucks Pistons from the BMO Harris Bradley Center, and our Buckshots coverage will tip off at 710 tomorrow night here on WTMJ. So if you're just tuning in, there's this public elementary school in, in Waukesha, which They've stopped having Halloween parties because, well, okay, that wasn't politically correct. So they they have this fall festival built around Halloween where the kids used to come and change into costumes and they'd have like a costume parade. They've now, they've got a new principal. Principal says no more costumes anymore because, gee, we're concerned about the people that don't celebrate Halloween and there might be a cost. So don't, don't do that. But instead, we're going to have a hat day. Won't that be fun? You can wear a hat. Okay, now, group. Here's what this thing says. Um, I'm looking at the newsletter. It says, any hat will work. You can even create your own. All right. What if, what if a bunch of their parents send the kids to school wearing Donald Trump Make America Great Again hats? What if a third of the students show up with Make America Great hats? Can you imagine that the principal's head will explode those kids will they be sent home any hat will work any hat will work so what if they, I just i'm just trying to picture that we're going to have fun what happens if they show up wearing make america great hats can you i'm just trying to picture oh the tv cameras will be out there as well that for actually to tell you the truth for anybody who thinks that this policy of doing away with the halloween costumes is as absurd as i do you've got a kid there I'd go out, get yourself a Make America. Just, I don't care if you support the president or not. Just as a way of protesting this idiotic, politically correct decision, send the kids there wearing a Make America Great hat and watch the heads explode. Any hat, any hat will do. Any hat will work. You can even create your own. 
What about it? What if a third of the kids did show up wearing Make America Great hats? Can you? I can see the principal. Oh, I, I, I can't believe that they're, they're, they're wearing these type of hats. We, well, we said any hat would be okay, but we didn't mean that hat. 414-799-1620. Gary in Greendale. Gary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, good morning. <laughs> can, can you imagine? I mean, seriously, can you imagine if a third of the kids show up wearing those red Trump hats? I mean, heads will explode. You know, I just... I get such a kick out of that comment when I heard you say that. That's Any hat will do, Gary. Any hat. <laughs> no, I agree with you. My my comment to your screener when I first uh, talked to him was, I wonder what they're going to do with the winter festival in place of Christmas, you know? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Nothing. I, you know, every, everything nowadays seems to be in question, and... And I go back to the whole idea about how liberal the colleges are, and and we have we have gone through a couple generations of kids now that have gone to college, they're schooled in all this liberal PC thought and everything, and it's totally infused in our education system. And I think the kids are the ones that are suffering because of that. Um, it's, it's over the hill, it's just. Yeah, it, well, it, it, right, it, exactly. I mean, and, and, and again, it's this, I mean, if the justification was, well, okay, you've, you've got the, these, some parents, they just might not be able to afford this. First of all, I, I don't buy that. I mean, it, nobody's, you can take a sheet, you put a couple holes in it, you know, and you go as a ghost or something. I, I just think that that is an absolutely ridiculous position to take. I don't buy that. And it's like several parents said, you know, if people wanted to donate so you can contribute to making costumes and art class or whatever, that, that to me is silly. I think you're right. This is, this is the, the, this is PC run amok. And I mean, I, I guess I wonder what if, what if, all right, what if a third of the kids show up? And I still think that would be wonderful. I mean, I just, I would love to see a third of the kids show up in the Make America Great hats and then watch the heads explode. What if another third show up like in the witches' hats or things like from Harry Potter? I mean, are, are people's heads going to explode about that? I mean, th- th- this idea that we have to take the fun out of it. We can't call it Halloween and we can't sing. I don't know Christmas songs at the Christmas pageant because somebody's going to get upset at some point in time. I, I'm just waiting for the, the pushback from people who live in the real world who are just tired of these people going around and trying to solve problems, come up with solutions for problems that don't exist. So we, we, we can't call it Halloween, but we're going to have a fall festival. But you can't wear costumes because, well, heaven forbid, somebody might like, like, like not like it. We take time off over Christmas for Christmas break, but we can't call it a Christmas pageant because... Well, what do we do with the people who don't celebrate Christmas? Scott in McGuanago. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. My question is, okay, if they can wear hats, where can they wear them? Because, God forbid, there might be a weapon under that hat. <laughs> well, I, you know, I... I a wet I, noodle? Or yeah, who knows I, what? Who knows what? I mean, yeah, I get, look, it's... We're going to have hat day. We're going to have all sorts of fun. We're going to have the kids wear hat. Gru is even laughing at this. I mean, you just wonder whether some of the, these teachers and and this this new principal, whether they sit back and think how how just absolutely ridiculous that this entire thing sounds. Oh, we're going to have hat day. It, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun because, okay, well, again, what about the people that can't afford hats and all these different things? And, and, and what about the people who have objections to wearing hats? How are you going to do this? I mean, really, 
I mean, hat day? Come on. It, it's Halloween, for goodness sakes. And if you don't want to call the Halloween party a Halloween party because you're a politically correct whatever, okay, that that's fine. But this idea that we're going to call it a fall festival, but now no more costumes. Have a text for a number of people. Say, yeah, I send my kids to a Lutheran school. Yeah, they, they, they actually get to wear costumes. Well, Yes, I, I understand, and maybe that's just the, the Lutherans being insensitive. No, it's not the Lutherans being insensitive. It's a rebelling against, again, the political correctness that has seeped into popular culture and is even, even it is so insidious, it is working its way into, of all places, Waukesha, Waukesha schools. Like I say, if you have, if you want to bring back the costumes... You're not going to get it by agitating in front of the school board. You're not going to get it by talking to this new principal. You're not going to get it by complaining to the teachers. If you want to bring back the costumes, send your kid to Hat Day wearing a Make America Great hat, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they will figure out a way to try to make the madness stop. Any hat will do. That's what the message says. It's 1027. This is Jeff Wagner. I swear you cannot make this stuff up. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line has exploded. What the heck? What about diversity? Kids need to be exposed to different cultures and programs. My kids had friends who didn't do Halloween. They gave them some of their candy. That's what Maggie texts. Um, Let's see. They are turning Halloween into a fundraiser. They're asking kids who can't afford costumes to bring money for others. Another text. Halloween is not religious or politically biased, so I have no idea why this principle can justify not having it. Because... Well, don't you understand? We're, we're all about inclusion, and and some people, well, they might not celebrate Halloween, so we we don't want them to feel left out. Um, oh, okay, really? I mean, come on. So you allow the kids that want to participate in the costume parade to participate, and you allow the kids that don't to not participate. But instead, we say we are going to make it a hat day. And and like I say, seriously, if you want to end this silliness once and for all. Parents of Hillcrest Elementary, send your kid to school in a Make America Great hat. You will make national news. I guarantee you, you will make national news. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tickets are going fast for this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas and see all your favorite voices on stage with you as the live studio audience. This is the third year we have done it. Just a couple dozen tickets remain. Head to papstheater.org this morning to get yours before they're all gone. And, and I've been saying this before. That the tickets have been on sale for about 10 days now. We, If you've been there, and a lot of people that came to the first show went to the second show, you know it, it's a relatively small space. Um, and, and once the tickets are gone, they are, they are gone. And this isn't, whenever we put these things out there, it's not like, hey, call before midnight tonight or the deal's going to go away. And then you see the same ad the next night, call before midnight. T-. That's not it. I mean, we have a finite amount of tickets. And what inevitably happens is people say, well, that's not till November 27th. You know, they're, they're talking about this. It's only, it's not even mid-October yet. I, I, there's time to get them. And what inevitably happens or what has happened in the last two years is a number of us here at the station, I get emails or phone calls or texts saying, hey, we really 
really want to go to that. And I, I know you guys are saying it's sold out, but here, come, come on. I, I, I want to buy the tickets. And I want to support Kids to Kids Christmas. At which point in time, I always have to say, it is not like they give us this giant secret stash of tickets that we have to draw from. Seriously, once the tickets are gone, they're gone, and um, just a couple dozen tickets remain. That is legitimate. So if you are thinking about coming to our holiday show, we would love to have you there. It is a lot of fun, but... Um, don't be shut out. <laughs> Papstheater.org. The tickets are $25 a piece. A portion of that goes to support Kids to Kids Christmas, and we all end up having just, just a lot of fun. Hope to see you there. But if you're thinking you want to go, my advice is just, just pick up the tickets now so you don't have to say, gee, gee, Jeff, come on. You can, you can get me. You, I need eight tickets. You can get them for me because, no, the truth is I go in, I talk to J. Pat Miller, and he looks at me and says, what part of sold out do you not understand? All right, here's the deal. Um, on a daily basis... You know, we have, it seems like, some horrible story about some stupid thing that has gone on on the roadways. A lot of times it's the the 14- or 15-year-old kids that stole a whole bunch of cars, running through red lights, hitting, killing people. And, you know, and then people say, why why was this going on the street? You know, what do you end up doing? Well, well here's a, a situation that's slightly different. 16-year-old boy died on the fr- – what had happened is – the, the boy died about 10.30 on Tuesday night. What happened is um, about 10.30 in the morning, I'm sorry, 10.30 in the morning. Don't even ask me why the kids weren't in school. 10.30 in the morning in the 3300 block of North 12th Street. What happened is a 16-year-old boy apparently climbed up on the, the roof of a car being driven by a 21-year-old male driver. Um, I get the impression that these were all friends. People knew knew each other and that this was a stunt. It was something they were going to do for fun. Officials say their investigation reveals about 10.30 in the morning, the victim, a 16-year-old boy, was on the hood of the vehicle. The driver of the vehicle, a 21-year-old Milwaukee man, drove away with the victim on the hood and then braked throwing him off. The 16-year-old was taken to a hospital where he later died from the injuries. Uh, Screech, that's what we heard. Um, That's when we came out running, says one of the witnesses. Witnesses say they watched as the driver and passengers tried to help the 16-year-old boy. Uh, The witnesses said they were like, don't close your eyes, don't go to sleep, just hold on, talk to me. All they could say is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we didn't mean for this to happen, we didn't know this was going to happen. When he fell, he fell frontwards. When he went frontwards, by then he was under the car, his arm was broken, his blood, he had blood coming out from his nose and the back of his head, etc., etc. Um, it is the story in Fox 6. It's unclear at this point exactly why the boy was on the hood of the car. Well, okay, I, I have a pretty good assumption as to why the boy was on the front of the car. They were playing around. I mean, it was like that. That's I, this. These, these were all friends. Here, I'm. I, you get on the hood of the car. Here, I'm going to drive. We'll we'll break. And here, we'll we'll treat this like you know a, a roller coaster ride at the state fair or something like that. I get the impression that there wasn't any intention here. This was a bunch of people clowning around. Sixteen-year-olds on the hood of the car. The twenty-one-year-olds driving breaks the car. And in this particular case, nobody intended for the kid to get hurt, but the kid. Rolls off the hood of the car, rolls under the car, don't know whether the car drove over him or not, hits his head. Regardless, he ends up dead. Stupid. 
stupid, senseless thing. The driver of the car then takes off, is my understanding. They, they were trying to remember aid. Then he takes off. Ultimately, the police caught him and, and ended up arresting him. So you've got another one of these just stupid, senseless tragedies. But this is a little bit different than some that we deal with. I mean, most of the cases we deal with are it's the 15- or 16-year-old punk with a lengthy criminal record of car theft who's stolen the car, who's driving 80 miles an hour, who blows through the stop sign and hits and kills someone, maybe a passenger in their car or whatever. Those are the easy cases. In this particular situation, and again, maybe the facts will come out to show that it's different, but I don't get the sense. I get the idea this was a bunch of acquaintances, friends, whatever, clowning around. The one kid climbs on the hood of the car. He's 16. The 21-year-old you know, hits the gas, and they're doing a car surfing thing, and the kid falls off and ends up killing himself. 414-799-1620. Here is my question. What should happen to the driver of the car? Let, let, us, let us assume, again, for the sake of argument, that the scenario... I, I'm laying out is is what happened here, that this was people deciding that they think engaging in this reckless and incredibly stupid and dangerous behavior was going to be some form of fun. OK, so it, it wasn't it wasn't an intention to hurt anybody. And everybody was on board with this. I mean, it's like here, I, I'm, I'm going to you climb onto the hood of the car here. I'm going to hit the gas. Nobody intended for this to happen. What do you do with the driver of the car? Now, if this had been the driver of the car blowing through a red light or going 50 miles an hour and hitting and killing a 16-year-old in a crosswalk, that, that's, we, we know where that is. But what about this, where it's friends, acquaintances, people clowning around, and somebody ends up dead? I mean, is this a crime? 414 or should it be treated as a crime? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Little peek behind the lines. I'm, I'm looking through the window at my producer, Gru, going, okay, that means where music's supposed to play. And he's looking back at me going, oh, I, I get it. No, but, okay, we've all worked it out there. Okay, that's, that's great. 414-799-1620. This is a horrible story. And it, it's, again, it's one of these things that on an almost daily basis you hear about this stuff, just the stupid, senseless things that cost people their lives. Tuesday morning, about 1020, I don't know why the 16-year-old wasn't in school, group of guys, um, 21-year-old behind the wheel of the car, 16-year-old is on the hood of the car, 21-year-old starts driving off, it sounds like they're car surfing or something like that, hits the brakes, the kid gets thrown off, the 16-year-old gets thrown off, goes under the car, ends up dead. Horrible story. Um, ultimately, the driver drives off. They, they've caught him and now arrested him. Question is, what, what do you do here um, where there is, there is, is there an assumption of the risk? I mean, is this one of the things where, hey, if you're 16 years old and you decide, hey, I think this is going to be a good idea, this is going to be fun, if that's what in fact happened, I, let, let's do this. This is going to be the game we play. All right, if something happens to you, is it fair to blame the driver? 414-799-1620, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Hey, my thoughts are I'm kind of, you know, in a dilemma about this, but I think that the right thing to do would be to charge the driver with reckless homicide, mm-hmm. not intentional, just reckless, right. and, um, and for fleeing the scene of an accident. Yeah, they, he did. That is my understanding. They did try to render aid, and then they took off. He, that's that is you know, that is my so understanding. It's it's just a tragic thing, 
But as for the other things, for the 15-year-old or 10-year-old carjackers, they should be put in jail for a long, long time. Right. Okay. Th- right. Okay. Thanks. See, I, I actually, well, we're getting lots of texts here on this. Let's see. There might have been no intention to harm. However, the driver is responsible. Just as when a person is texting and causes a death due to their inattention, they intended no harm, but they are indeed still responsible. Poor choice of judgment on the driver's part. Another text. What part of careless use of a motor vehicle isn't understood? Steve in Greenfield says he should be charged. He took off like a coward. You know, what <clears throat> What a good friend. Um, you know, I, um, I I agree with all that. I mean, and here here's why. This is, th- th- what makes this a little bit more difficult situation to me is, is again, you have, I, and, and maybe the facts will turn out to be different, but I don't think so. You have the six, I get the idea that people are playing around. Hey, this is going to be fun. I'm going to get up on the car. Here, you, you, hey, hey, Frankie, or whatever. You, you, you know, hit the gas, okay? I, I get the idea that people thought this was going to be fun. This was part of a game, and you had the 16-year-old that decided to knowingly participate in that game. That's my guess. I don't think this was a situation where they tried to run him down or anything like that. I think it was just a bunch of people goofing. All right, having said that, though, doesn't change, at least in my mind, the fact that, you know, if you're 21 years old and you're driving a car and there's somebody on the hood of your car, you know, you're the one who's got to say, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be the guy that hits the gas and hits the brakes because something really, really bad can happen. And the fact that you have somebody who's deciding to might go along with this, and this is the game, we're going to see, you know, what we can do, and we're going to see how fast we can go, and we're going to spin people off. It is to me, and I use this phrase a lot, reasonably foreseeable that something really, really, really bad could in fact happen. And, and yeah, when you, when you do that, um, when you do that, you, you are responsible. Now, do you have a lesser degree of intent? Is it worse if you would have said, hey, I see this 16-year-old. I don't like him because I remember something about him and I'm going to run him down. Would that have been worse? Yes. Would that have, in my opinion, then led to, if he's convicted, led to a lengthier prison sentence? Yeah, because I do think intent matters. But still, this is a crime. And... You know, even on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, where we look the other way when people get hurt on a regular basis, I think this is something where you say, no, this is somebody is dead because you did something irresponsible. And even if the person who's dead kind of knowingly went along with part of this, it doesn't change the dynamic that you should have known better than to try to drive away with somebody on the hood of your car if this was just some sort of game that you all were playing. Simple. All right, a lot of stuff coming up on the program, including in about 15 minutes. Um, it is going to be, admittedly, a difficult segment. Opioid abuse back in the news. The number of people around here who are dying from opioid deaths, heroin deaths, drug overdoses, is absolutely staggering. We're going to talk about what's going on. Stick around. It's 1050. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This Harvey Weinstein story just refuses to go away. And a matter of fact, it gets even more interesting with the day. Harvey Weinstein, of course, was the, the, this, I mean, he was, 
he was, for the last 30 years, he was the Hollywood mogul. Through Miramax, he was the guy that funded all these different you know, movie projects. He chummed around with all the stars. He was the guy that got Ben Affleck's career started, Matt Damon's career started. Um, George Clooney loved him. He, he went to all, he threw all the right parties. He was the guy that, you know, raised money for Barack Obama and for Hillary Clinton. He was the guy that, okay, had the big fundraisers and made the movies about uh, the fundraisers for, like, Planned Parenthood and things like that. He was the ultimate Hollywood lefty. He was also a pig. And the stories are, are emerging. And, of course, they're just emerging now, but they've been out there for decades. I mean, this guy, you want to talk about the casting couch. You know, in order to get jobs, he'd invite these attractive actresses over, make them go up to his hotel room, force them to perform sex acts. And, and, and you know, they, they were the, the women were told, if you go public with this, he's going to, Harvey's going to ruin your career. Other women apparently kind of went along with this and helped actually, in some cases, actually kind of smooth the way for him to assault some of their colleagues. And the Weinstein Company, um, and this is going to be an interesting thing for some of the people who are on the board of directors, has apparently been paying settlements for years to try to like make these things go away. Well, I mean, here's the latest developments. This story all broke when the New Yorker magazine um, had a guy named um, Ronan Farrow, who you know had a had a show on NBC that was canceled back in 2015. He had the story. He had an audio tape of Weinstein. He had all these different sources that were out there. He went to NBC, and NBC said, "No, we're we're not going to run it." Um, and now a lot of people, why did NBC decide not to run it? Well, they'll never admit it. But the truth was, Harvey Weinstein was powerful. I think because he had influential contacts at NBC, they decided they weren't going to run the story. So what he did is he said, okay, well, I, I'm going to take this story. I'm going, to, I'm going to write this piece for the New Yorker magazine. Then the New York Times got wind of this, and they rushed the story into print because they found a couple accusers, um, even though I say this isn't a secret. They ran the story. Then the New Yorker came out with this magazine. And now, now of course, you know, Harvey Weinstein's and his wife is leaving him and he's in, um, you know, sex offender rehab or what, whatever, sex addict rehab. But this is one of these, these classic stories about how, the, in my opinion, the, the double standards that are out there. This and this man's behavior was not a secret. It, it goes back for decades, prominent people knew it was going on, and people in the industry talk. And so people knew it. Matter of fact, lots of women would warn other women, don't go up to this guy's hotel room, that's there. And some very prominent and very successful actresses heard the stories. They knew about the stories, and yet they chose to say nothing. Now, a lot of them are, are coming forward, but as a matter of fact, some early on that, that made these complaints and stuff, they, they found themselves being ostracized because, by, because, well, how dare you take on one of these powerful guys? Here's something that you will never, ever convince me was not the case. If this was not a liberal icon, if this was a conservative that had the same amount of money and clout this this would have been exposed decades ago. I, I firmly believe this. But because you had, again, the, the liberal icon who knew the right people, who said the right things, who went to their parties, well, then everybody kind of looked the other way, including all sorts of people in the media who wouldn't break the stories, but also this entire Hollywood community. And to me, this just exposes them all as nothing but a bunch of, of hypocrites that, okay, 
we're going to denounce people for this type of boorish, piggish, illegal type of conduct unless, well, unless he's one of ours. You see that happen time and time and time again around here where you have a prominent liberal politician who is found out for doing something completely and totally inappropriate. And then, you know, but yet you have people rally around him because, gee, this is the guy and he says the right things and he runs in the right circles. And so we're going to overlook all this type of stuff. Now, I have no doubt that these type of things go on and I have no doubt that they go on in in big industry as well. But the truth of the matter is this is something that people knew about for decades a very, very prominent figure in Hollywood who made a lot of stuff happen and apparently was a serial rapist. And you have the entire liberal Hollywood community who rallied around this serial rapist looking the other way because, well, you know, we just don't want to call out Harvey for this type of thing. So, you know, the next time somebody shows up and wants to denounce somebody for something like this, the next time a George Clooney or a Matt Damon or a Ben Affleck or go down the list decides that they want to preach about this type of value or that type of value or denounce things, just ask them about Harvey Weinstein. Chances are they probably won't answer. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about the, the incredible amount of deaths being caused by opioid abuse. It's been a particularly bad couple weeks in southeastern Wisconsin. Stick around. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1108. Okay, so Jane, you have to help me out. I, I was listening to that ad during the news for Kessler's Diamonds. And yes. talking about Sweetest Day. Okay, give, give me some female perspective here. Is Sweetest Day like a real thing, or is that kind of a made-up holiday, or how do you deal with this? You're married now. I am married now, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think you're off the hook. I'm off the hook? Okay. I think so. it's a dating holiday. Okay. All I right. do. It's that, well, because, I mean, hopefully she'd say that like every day is like sweetest day being married to me. <laughs> you can shoot for that, Jeff. I think that would be great. <laughs> okay. So you think it's more of a dating holiday. Yeah. So, okay. my, my, my husband and I have never done sweetest day. You okay. know, and we've been together 16 years, so I just think at, after a certain period of time, yeah. We right. would rather put our money towards a trip or something. That's right. that's kind of what we do with. And we with just these paid for the things. wedding, you know. So well, we, we, just, that, we, just yeah. kind of, we just kind of paid for the wedding and and the new house and the new furniture that's going in, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I think so you're I think you're off the hook. Okay, well that's that's especially good because I was noting that it's like he said it's October twenty first and I'm in San Diego at a Jimmy Buffett concert that night. So, and she's not going to be with you. Oh, good. Thanks for getting. No, my my brother and I. No, no, she's not going to be. No, my brother and I. My niece goes. She's a freshman. This, this is this is my niece goes to San Diego State. She's a freshman at San Diego State. Um, my brother and I are huge Jimmy Buffett fans, and so we're going out to San Diego, and we're gonna we're gonna see Sydney. You know, um, take her out to dinner, and yeah, we're going to the Jimmy Buffett show on Saturday okay. night. Okay, here's an instance of not putting the critical information at the top. <laughs> now you got to get her something. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh, okay. It's, if, if I was going to be there, it would not have been that big a deal. But since my sorry, chunky butt is going to be at a Jimmy Buffett concert in San Diego with my with my brother, get her something. Okay, sweetheart. So, <laughs> we'll 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 work this out. <laughs> all right. Always do what Jane tells you. It always works out well. All right. I, I want to switch gears. And very serious note. I am. Um, I, I've said this before on the radio. I think as many of you know, my background, I started out in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I spent a number of years chasing drug peddlers. Back when I was involved in the war on drugs, 
around here, heroin, I won't say it didn't exist, but it pretty much didn't exist. I mean, if I, I can probably in in twelve years, I can probably count on certainly one hand and maybe just a couple fingers the number of prosecutions we did in the U.S. Attorney's Office for heroin. It just wasn't something. It, it was. I mean, the, the drugs of choice. The drug of choice when I started chasing drug peddlers was powdered cocaine, and then. Then you started to see, then it switched to crack cocaine, which was particularly insidious. Um, and, and then I know over the years then it's become methamphetamine and, and other things. But in general, for whatever reasons, there, there was not, you did not have pro, you did not have huge amounts, for example, of heroin that was around. I'm not suggesting there was no heroin. I'm just saying that that, that wasn't where law enforcement resources were concentrated. That has changed dramatically over the, the years, particularly the last few years. And th- there's just no other way to say this. We are looking at, at, at just a drug abuse and an opioid. And, and opioids are, again, heroin would be an opioid. Um, you know, Oxycontin, which is the prescription thing that they give you when you've got pain or when you've got terminal cancer or whatever. I mean, th- there's been just an incredible revival of this. And, and I just... now. Now, the thing that got the attention, and I mentioned it yesterday, is you had two very prominent situations. You had um, the daughter uh, of John Nigren, who's the state representative of Marinette, who has been very, very upfront about trying to update laws because, you know, he's been very public about how his daughter has struggled with uh, substance abuse. She's 28 years old. She was just charged with a series of crimes relating to or arrested on a series of crimes relating to substance abuse. And the, the former executive director of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin was apparently um, busted in connection with, uh, again, drug-related issues when there was a search warrant done at his home. Um, he's apparently, the reports are, he hasn't been charged or arrested yet, but his home and car were searched by police as part of a reckless homicide investigation into the death of a woman who overdosed in his Fitchburg condo. So I mean, th- that's gotten the attention. But th- these numbers are, are staggering. And actually, the Journal Sentinel reported this the other day. Um, in a four-day period... In Milwaukee County alone, 11 people died from probable drug overdoses. 11 people died in four days. Um, Milwaukee County, Milwaukee County alone, and by the way, this is not something that is exclusively a problem of the inner city of Milwaukee. This is a problem that exists throughout the entire area. Um, Milwaukee County is on a pace to record 326 drug-related deaths this year. 426 drug-related deaths this year. Um, Nearly a 25% increase from 343 deaths last year. I think it is staggering that you have 343 people that died last year in Milwaukee County alone of drug overdoses, and they're going to blow through that. 426, again, that's what they're on pace for. Could be a little higher, could be a little lower. Um, and, and they're just, of these 11 people who died Friday through Monday, nine of the 11 were men, eight died at home, 10 died in the city of Milwaukee, one died in Whitefish Bay. Median age was 40. Of course, two of the people that died died at the Potawatomi Hotel. They were in for a, um, a softball tournament or something like that, and you know they, um, you know, were found dead. 
and uh, police found white powder and a rolled-up bill on the top of a dresser. The powder was identified as phenytal, a powerful opioid. So there's stronger drugs that are out there, and they are killing people. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have kind of an open-ended question, and, and I mean this sincerely. What is going on? I, I mean, this is, you know, we, we have law enforcement. We have community pe- health people talking about it. But, but you know, what what is going on here that is, is causing th- this type of, of carnage, and, and by the way, this is this is carnage. That again, it applies it applies all across the, the board. This is this this does not differ, differentiate between men and women. It doesn't differentiate between Hispanic people and black people and white people. It doesn't differentiate between wealthy people and less wealthy people. Um, I, I have just let me just start off the conversation. I have a text here. I'm not going to I'm not going to read her name, but she says, I'm the mother of a 20 year old heroin addict. Um, He has struggled on and off for two years. It has been a living hell. I would never wish this on my worst enemy. I feel the laws need to change where immediate family can somehow um, force help on someone in the throes of addiction, like rehab or incarceration of some sort. We are from the Oconomowoc area. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I think actually a lot of our problem should be turned back to the federal government because you go back four or five years ago, they gave away licenses for all these little pop-up clinics that were, of course, over-prescribing, and then they cracked down on it. They want to take away, you know, everybody's pills that are on it, and then going to on the street trying to get it, you're going from being able to mm-hmm. obtain a narcotic the right way to having to switch to heroin, which is a lot cheaper, mm-hmm. compared to, you know, a opiate or a pill that, you know, you are prescribed, you know. Yeah, no, and well, John, and you, if you talk to law enforcement people, because that's one of the questions, say, okay, where, where is this coming from? And one of the things that they will say is particularly with young people, it's, it's about young people raiding mom and dad's medicine chest and, and getting the opioids and, you know, getting the Oxycontin or whatever, and, and then, you know, getting hooked on that and then not being able to get to the pills. So then they turn to some of these other type of things, you know, they turn to the heroin or they turn to some of this other stuff where there, there's no, because it is, again, it's cheaper. It, it ends up, um, there, there's no controls on it. The potency of this stuff, it, it's not like you've got, you know, uh, any sort of like FDA controls. So you're, you're dealing with, I think, I think one of the things that is leading to the deaths is you are dealing with nowadays particularly potent types of drugs that are out there that people are taking without realizing what exactly it is that they are, are taking. So I think that's one of the things that contributes to the, the deaths that are going on. But um, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody in law enforcement, and it was like, if, if for real estate, okay, if they were saying, if you show your house, 
you know, one of the things you need to do nowadays, and I would have never thought of this, is you need to go up and you need to, if, if your house is going to be open to the general public, you need to go through the medicine chests and you need to take all the, any prescription drugs that you might have and you might, and you need to, to hide them or do something with them because, you know, they're finding that people will go to open houses and they'll go up to people's bathrooms and they'll go look to see what's in the medicine chest and they'll be stealing drugs. It, it's, it is this pervasive that, that's out there. 414-799-1620. Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, uh, my perspective is I'm actually seven years sober today. Um, I think part of the issue, a uh, big part of the issue is, you know, we are, the war on drugs, we're spreading out our resources too thin because we're going after both the supply and demand. You know, mm-hmm. we're putting addicts into prison, uh, which is not getting them the help that they need. Um, I think if we focused more, instead of, you know, if someone gets pulled over and they've got drugs on them, instead of putting them in prison, maybe inpatient rehab, um, and then we can focus our, our law enforcement efforts more on the supply side, uh, get the actual criminals into well, prison. What happens then, if the rehab, and, and what, what, Clint, I'm just kind of curious, so what, work with me on this. What happens if the rehab doesn't work? You know, you, you, you catch somebody um, shooting up in their car, for example, and then sure. you say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You are an addict. We're going to put you into rehab, but you're, for whatever reasons, and you know, you, you've been through it, you're not, you're not ready. You're not ready to get clean and sober. You're just like, okay, whatever. So you go into the rehab. It doesn't work. You come back out on the streets, and then you're, you're stealing to support your habit or, or whatever. What do you do for that person that's not ready to do what you've done? And by the way, I have the greatest respect for you know, seven years is tremendous. What do you do for that person who's not ready to do that? Uh, that is a tough, that's a fair question, and, and that, that is the difficult, you know, perhaps if, you know, like if we get these people in front of the judges and say, all right, here's your option, yeah. um, you know, we can do a deferred uh, kind uh-huh. of rehab thing. Because um, you're right, if someone doesn't realize that they've got a problem, you're not going to be able to help them. Right, or, or they're not just ready to accept it. No, thanks. And I, I See, I wrestle with all this stuff, too, because... Now, I, again, much of the law enforcement response, much of it, that comes from you know the, the the crimes that people commit as a result of drugs, right? You you need okay if you're a heroin addict, okay, chances are you're not holding down a real job. So what are you doing? You know, you're you're stealing. You're stealing from your family. You're stealing from your friends. You're stealing anywhere you can get to try to support that drug habit. So it, it's not necessarily that you're being locked up for for using heroin it's that you're being locked up because you're stealing things or you're committing other crimes in order to support your habit uh, but at some point in time if you're not ready to get yourself straightened out and and this is I, I mean I was saying this yesterday in a different context I thank God every day that I don't have an addictive personality I mean I just it, it, it's not I would never I never did drugs I would never do drugs but whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling or all these different types of things I just don't have an addictive personality but I understand that there's other people you know who, who do and then you end up getting hooked on this and you get physically dependent it's just and you don't know what you're getting that to me is one of the scariest things out there you don't know who you're buying stuff from you don't know what this potency is you don't know what it's been cut with and you know that's i think that's one of the things that's leading to these spikes in you know these type of drug abuse problems we talk uh, we continue the conversation next if you're on the line hold on 1121 jeff wagner 
1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I mean, th- these numbers really are staggering. The journal said just between last Friday to Monday, four-day period, in Milwaukee County alone, 11 people dead from probable drug overdoses. Milwaukee County is on pace to record 426 drug-related deaths this year. Um, that's up 25% from 343 deaths last year. I think 343 deaths from drug overdoses in Milwaukee County alone is just a staggering and an unbelievable number, and they're going to blow by that. They're going to be talking about 420. Maybe it'll be 410. Maybe it'll be 430. But it's just staggering. People are dying right and left, and, and nobody has any good solutions. Marty in Sussex. Marty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Very well, um, I know, I know what people are going through. My son actually just OD'd this past weekend, oh. and uh, I mean he's alive and everything. Okay. And uh, what really gets me is the enabling that people do to, to you know, it's it's easier just to give money to to addicts if you have it than mm-hmm. to address the solution, and that what gets me. Mm-hmm. So and, when, when you say enabling, you you talk about like, <clears throat> and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you said your son. You know, obviously, just survived a drug overdose. So, what's he out there begging for money and stuff like that? And people are are giving him money that he uses to support his drug habit. Well, let's just say he has rich, uh, rich friends, family. Okay, all right, got it. Okay, right. Who support and, that? Um, okay, yeah, right. And it's a lot easier just to feed the habit than to feed the, you know, addiction or confront the problem. Yeah. And you know, honestly, he doesn't want to get clean and. He he's convinced that he's going to die, and he doesn't care. And I'm a recovering alcoholic myself, and there ain't nothing I can do about it except pray, yeah. have faith, and put it in God's hands. Yeah. No, thanks, Chicago. I, I just and I'm sorry, my my heart goes out to you, and I, I wish I had an answer. I mean, it's just that this this crisis, and it is a crisis, is just touching so many people's. Um, lives um let's see uh here's a text i agree we need more care basically um what we do now is throw them in jail fine them make them pay for jail time the result is a loss of tons of money so it's cheaper to get heroin to get help um the hole gets deeper and deeper my daughter is a heroin addict at the age of 30 it's misery beyond anything you can know she's a highly functional but she's been revived six times with narcan she doesn't steal she works every day but she's in debt up to her ears can't afford insurance she's in therapy um the enemy is the dealer um yeah it's just it's it's one of and i wish i had these answers to this other than to say that this is this is a huge issue. I, I know one of the things they're doing is cracking down on the over-prescriptions of some of these opioids that are, you know, really intended for very temporary use for people who are in short-term pain or, in the case of people who have, like, terminal cancer or things like that, um, that that's that's part of the issue. But I, I think it goes beyond that. It's this fascination that, that people have with drugs. And I wrestle with this, too, because, like I say, I come to things these things from a law enforcement perspective but I, I recognize that's that's only like putting your finger in in the dike. The problem, though, is that you know, for everybody says you need more treatment, and I agree with that. Until people are ready to get treatment, it doesn't make any difference. You can put somebody in rehab who doesn't either think they have a problem or doesn't want to deal with it, and and it's not going to succeed. It, it's just you know, people need to make that decision. And what's scary now is the type of stuff that's out on the street is killing people right and left before they even get to the point of being in a position to make the decision that they need to get help. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner.
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here we have a text. Heroin is the happy drug. Users wreck their brain by using it. It's almost impossible to be happy without it. The receptors in the brain take a year to heal without heroin. Can you imagine how hard that must be? Um, yeah, um, it's, it's in cocaine's the same way. I mean, I remember again, when I was, was chasing cocaine dealers, one of the things I really wanted to do is I wanted to learn how cocaine affects people's brains. And I sitting down with these, these doctors and stuff who were explaining it to me in great detail. And it's, it's, it's like what they call chasing because it affects your, your pleasure centers and you, you can never, you can never duplicate that first high, so people take more and more kind of chasing the thing, and it's insidious. And the bottom line is it's killing people. I mean, what's going on, it's killing lots and lots of people. So, you know, I think parents need to be mindful, and you need to lock up your medicine chest, and you need to be watch your kids, you need to talk to your kids, and all those different types of things. Is it Will it solve the problem? No, but at least we got to be aware that we have an epidemic, and that's not just something that law enforcement or people are talking about. It is an epidemic on the streets. Just look at the numbers. It's 1138, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we do this this same time every week for the last segment or two of the program on the Thursday show. We put aside the, the heavy lifting. We stop talking about oh, the, the political issues of the day. Interestingly, I'm going to do a segment tomorrow on, on the proposal that President Trump has to allow insurers to sell insurance across state lines. I think this is long, 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 long overdue. Some people's heads are exploding, but I think it's going to be very, very good for consumers, particularly consumers who are trapped under Obamacare. So um, we'll we'll be talking about that. But right now, I want to kind of lighten up the the topic. I've been there has been so much controversy. I said this I said this yesterday. Every year, it seems like there is some social issue that kind of just sucks all the air out of a lot of the other issues that are going around. Last year, for example, it was the whole issues of, uh, it was a whole question of what do you do with the transgender student, the one in 10,000 who, you know, has an issue with what bathroom he or she wants to use. You know, we, we, it seemed like the issue came up over and over and over again. This year, the issue really has been this whole protest before the national anthem. And again, I think it was dying down before President Trump decided to, to get involved with this, and now it's escalated. I mean, the NFL, in my opinion, should have made a rule last summer and just avoided this whole problem. Now they've got a huge issue. And so this is what people are talking about. Ah, and we know we've had the phone calls. I think the, the players have every right to do this, and I'm upset with the owners that they would crack down on this to – you know, hey, these are rich, greedy, spoiled athletes. Um, you know, you know, show some respect for the country, and you know, all extra, all arguments on all sides of the spectrum. And in some respects, I think it is kind of taken away from why it is that we watch sports and why it is that we a- attend sporting events, because it it is an escapist thing. It takes us away from the problems that we face in, in everyday life. It's just a release, and it's something that, that's kind of fun. The reality is, I mean, it was very unfortunate that the Brewers didn't make the playoffs this year, okay? But the truth of the matter is, you know, your your life probably, it didn't really change one way or another. Now, you would have liked to have seen maybe that game and gotten some entertainment, but, you know, day in, day out, your, your life, your job, unless you work for the Brewers or in something related to that, you know, you're a huge fan, but your life didn't change. If the Packers lose on Sunday, 
your life isn't going to change. But as I've often said, one of the worst days to do a show in in this in, in Wisconsin, a radio show, is the Monday after the Packers lose because everybody's in a bad mood. Even though you know the sun has come up, you know your life really hasn't changed, but you're in a bad mood because we are so invested in these things, and, and that's what sports does for us. It, it gives us a pleasure. It gives us a release. It gives us a joy, and. I think this whole NFL thing has kind of taken us away from that. So for Pop Culture Corner today, I want to try to bring back a little bit of the joy. All right. I have been fortunate over my life to, you know, go to lots of live sporting events. Um, There's still lots more that are on my bucket list. They they just are. But, I mean, I've had a pleasure to go to lots of sporting events, and I have a lot of good memories from those. So I thought we would take a walk down memory lane. Here's what I want to talk about on Pop Culture Corner I want to kind of bring some of the joy back into why we watch sports. All right, what's what's the most fun? What was the best sporting event that you had the opportunity to attend? Could be baseball, could be football, could be hockey, could be basketball. But I want to bring some of the joy back to it. Think about whatever sporting event you might have had the opportunity to attend and and the one that, gosh, I just, I just remember that. I still talk about the time that me and the guys went up to wherever. All right, the best, most fun, most enjoyable, most memorable sporting event that you have attended. All right, we are also, as we always do with this segment, we are live streaming on Facebook Live. So you can go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, and you can see the lights turned on on our radio studio, and you can watch this. We'll be back with as many of your calls as we can possibly get to and your texts and your comments on Facebook Live as we live stream it. The best sporting event you've ever attended, the most memorable one. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. 1145 Pop Culture Corner, your most memorable sporting event on Facebook Live. Susan writes, um, we came to County Stadium to watch the Chicago Cubs versus the Houston Astros. There was the hurricane in Texas, and they decided to play the game in Milwaukee. I remember that. We got to see Carlos Zambrano, a name from the past, pitch a no-hitter. Uh, no-hitter. I remember all of that. Uh, let's see. Here's one of our texts. Jeff, got to watch a Brewer game in the press box with Bob Euchre and my brother in July of 2011. It happened to be the day that we overtook the Cardinals for first place and never looked back. Absolutely. Kevin says, the Packers' final game ever at County Stadium. Loudest crowd I've ever heard when Brett drove into dove into the end zone to beat the Falcons. 414-799-1620. Daniel in Chicago. Daniel, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Most memorable sporting event? Oh, uh, yes, sir. It, it was taking my uh, my son, who he just turned seven now. He had his golden birthday on Saturday. Uh-huh. He turned seven on the 7th. The most memorable one was taking him to his first major league game, first sporting event ever, when he was nine months old. Uh, we took him down to see the White Sox in Kansas City. I had not seen the Sox in person for going on 20 years after right. he had re- released Carlton Fisk back in the 90s. So we took him on the road. And it turned out to be the only time I ever saw Mark Burley pitch in person. Okay. And it was just, it started an absolute love affair for my boy. Yeah. He just turned seven. He's the biggest sports fan. I... Name him Peyton. <laughs> and we took him, I took him for his golden birthday on Monday to see the Vikings for his first Bears game at Soldier Field. Oh, that's all and... very, it's all very cool. No, thank, I mean, I remember, I mean, I, I mean, I remember the first baseball game that I went to. I was like five years old. And I, I just, I, I vivid, I have these. Vivid memories of this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul in the North Shore. Paul, good morning. 
Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Uh, got two quick ones here. Obviously, the two Rose Bowls that I've been to, uh, just the setting with the San Gabriel Mountains and the sunset and, uh, you know, nice right, time sure. of weather, nice time of year in California, a little snowy back here. And then number one, it's got to be the Thursday uh, opening round of the Masters that I went to. If you ever get the chance, you have got to I, go. I yeah, see, that's on my bucket what list. What you have to do, cut, <laughs> cut off your big toe or pull out your... Your molars, that's on my bucket list. I've been to the Indy 500. I've been to um, um, thanks. I've been to the Indy 500. You know, I've been to the Kentucky Derby. I've never been to uh, the Masters, and that's it's worth it, it, huh? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, that's 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 a good bucket list thing. Let's talk to Kathy in New Berlin. Kathy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Kathy. 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 Hi, Kathy. Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, How go- are you? I am well, thank you. Go ahead. What's your What's your uh, most memorable sporting event? Well, it actually dates back about 21 years ago, the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, and we were fortunate enough to have tickets for the track and field finals. And my husband and I were able to experience Michael Johnson uh, obtaining his gold medal, and the most amazing thing was, of course, gold track shoes. Okay. And also, <laughs> as he was running around the track, Seeing the light bulbs like explode from um, the different cameras that were taking pictures of that historic event, it was truly oh. a, a really cool thing. Were you there when they had the bombing at the the park? Were you there for all that? We or were, we were we were in Centennial Park that night. Unfortunately, uh, we had left to go back to our hotel before that happened for about two hours before that. But okay. of course, our both lines were lighted up like crazy. <laughs> Right. No, that was that was amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody I know that that is, I've never been to an Olympics, um, but everybody I know that's been to Olympics just talks about how just absolutely in, incredible that was. Um, let's talk to let's see, we've got Lee and Dousman. Lee, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Okay, the most memorable sporting event you've ever been to? Uh, that's easy. Uh, flying my family out to Monterey, California. Uh, to witness in person the MotoGP races at Laguna Seca. Okay. Uh, back in, we've done it a few times. However, back in 2005, well, we went out there to root on our personal favorite uh, Italian uh, Valentino Rossi. Uh, and okay. We were all dressed up and rooting him on. However, the surprise of the event was an even bigger victory. It was an American by the name of Nicky Hayden, the late Nicky Hayden. Right. Uh, he won the race. It was the most incredible thing to see on the victory lap with his father on the back of that motorcycle. I had tears in my eyes carrying the American flag. It was absolutely, yeah. I'll carry that memory with me to my grave. Yeah, see, and that, that's the, thanks for the call. And see, and that's the incredible thing. That's, that's why, actually, that's why I chose the topic today, because I just wanted to, I think sometimes with all the politics and all this stuff, we, we, we lose the, the joy that's out there in some of these things. Okay, let's see. Here's a text. Jeff, my most memorable sporting event was my first and only Packers game. I've been to Lambeau. It was my dad's 60th birthday. I went with him, my brother-in-law, and his brother. I shaved Go Pack Go in my hair. It was the year after the most recent Super Bowl, so we visited the Hall of Fame the next day. Now, see, that's a fan. Go Pack Go shaved into your head. Gotta love that. Um, let's see. The greatest, This is uh, uh, Kevin in Belgium. The greatest game I was ever at was the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Philadelphia 76ers in the mid-1980s 
at that time, if the Milwaukee Bucks scored over 100 points and held their opponent to under 100, you could use your ticket stub to get a free personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. There was two minutes left in the game, and we had over 100 points, and the 76ers were in the mid-90s. The Bucks were going to win no matter what, but the crowd started chanting, Pizza, pizza, pizza. Um, <laughs> yeah, gotta, gotta love it. Um, let's talk to Ken in Menominee Falls. Ken, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What most memorable event? Memorable event. I went to, on a government assignment in Washington, D.C. back in 71, and just happens to be game number seven of the NBA Finals in ball, nearby Baltimore. Went and got a free ticket from the Bucks. As I was a season ticket holder, sat in the third row with the head of NBA officials. Bucks won their one and only championship. And then I headed to the team hotel, sat around, drank champagne with Lou Alcinder and the big ol'. Right, but Lou Alcinder, before he was, thanks for the call, before he was Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah, the Bucks' first and only NFL championship. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, back in 1971. Amazing. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rick at Oconomowoc. Rick, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. It was, uh, you may remember me from way back when on Acacia, but... Uh, oh, sure, absolutely. Rick Howe. Yeah, sure. 1980 Olympics. Uh, Katie and I got out there to... Didn't have tickets for that game... But Lee saw the the hockey game, and that was the most fantastic uh, U.S. victory. Of course, the Heidens were there and a few others from Wisconsin. You're talking about the miracle of uh, ice, of course, where the U.S. amateurs ended up beating the Russian team. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. No, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, I mean, thank, well, we see, were there. right. Well, see, that, and, and that, that's, again, that's one of sort of the legendary, one of the legendary moments, again, and you just never know when these things are going to happen. And that, of course, is the... That of course is the it, it is the joy of sports. Um, again, for me, I, I try to think about this, and I've been fortunate. I, I I saw the Packers win the Super Bowl in Dallas a few years back, and I, I was there with my best friend, and that was that was very special. Um, I still come back to I, I still remember it was the Game Five of the nineteen eighty two American League playoffs, and um, being in in the Old County Stadium when the Brewers made it to the World Series. For some reason. That always comes back as being the most memorable event I, I've been to. And, again, it's not like they even won the world championship, but they just they just won. Okay, we have a lot of different things. Last year's Stanley Cup Finals, Braves opening day, 1953, 78 bucks exhibition game, the Munich uh, Olympics in 1972. Wow, that was, uh, that was an amazing one. Badger games, all sorts of other things. Wish we had more time, but... Um, we, again, we live stream this on Facebook, so you can continue with your comments there as well. It is 1154. Scafidi and Bill Stett will be in next. We'll find out what they have on their agenda. Stick around.